So we are in week number three, week number three of a sermon series called Beautiful Mess. If you haven't been with us, let me give you kind of a Cliff's Notes version of what this sermon series has been all about. Um, we started this sermon series off at the start of summer, and if you're anything like me, summer's one of those times that you don't look forward to all that much because while it's hot and while it's beautiful and while you go, hey, beach, I'm going to do the beach, I'm going to do the beach, you, you put a bathing suit on and you look in the mirror for the first time sometime in late spring, and you go, not yet. We're going to have to work for a little while before we take all of this out in public. And so what ends up happening is we end up kind of walking through this thing. And so whether it's, it's health, whether it's kind of getting in shape, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your career or your education, we all have this tendency to look for the before and after. Because we live in a world of an unbelievably short attention span, and so we want before and after. We want the silver bullet. We want the magic pill. We want, here's what my life was before, after. But the reality is, is that before and after short changes us, because if we look for before and after, we will look for quick fixes, not long-term solutions. If we look for before and after, we will look for the things that give the appearance of change, but do not give real transformation. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we look for grace without repentance. We want the quick change, but we don't want the deep transformation. And so the reality for us is in every area of our lives, God wants more for us than simply before and after, because the reality of our lives is there is before, and then there is a long, 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 long process of transformation. And according to Scripture, your process of transformation will not be complete until the day you meet Jesus. And so what that means for me and what that means for you is your process of transformation will never be finished. So there's no before and after. There's before, there's where I used to be, and here's where I am now, and I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm not where I once was. And so the goal for us every day is to live out the beautiful mess that is our lifelong process of transformation. It's recognizing every day that we're not where we want to be yet, but we're not where we once were. And so every day, as long as we have some forward momentum, as long as we have sometimes slow, incremental transformation, because each step towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. And so that's what this whole sermon series has been about. So we opened up and we talked about how it's a lifelong process of transformation. And so we've got to trust the process. Last week we talked about trusting the process. That even when there are not immediate results, even when you're going, I put the work in, but I don't see the results yet. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Trust the process. And so last week we talked about Joshua. Joshua was leading the people of Israel after the death of Moses. And so he leads them to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And now they're facing off against the people of Jericho. And Jericho is a relatively small community, but they're surrounded by this giant wall. And so Joshua leads the people to march around the wall for six days in a row. Because God commanded it. And then on the seventh day they march 
around the city seven times, and at the end of the seventh time, the trumpet blasts and the people shout, and the walls of the city of Jericho fall down. Now, if Joshua had not trusted the process, if Joshua had not been obedient and faithful, then he never would have seen those walls fall down. And so last week we learned this truth that sometimes the, in the process of our transformation, sometimes as we come up against opposition, sometimes as we're transforming, as we're going through that process, as we're trusting that process, when that opposition arises in front of us, we stay faithful. We trust the process and we believe that God, God will cause the walls to fall down. And so I want to continue with this theme today of talking about Joshua and talking about Joshua's leadership. Joshua leads the people of Israel, and they lead, he leads the people of Israel, and there's lots of battles, and then there's lots of battles, and then there's losses, because it's not good all the time. There's no story in the Bible where you open up the story, and it's like, this person was awesome from day one, and they never encountered opposition, and they never had defeat. That story doesn't exist in Scripture. So know right now, if you're here today and you're going, man, my story is full of more defeats than victories, well, then you would fit in perfectly in Scripture, and God has used someone like you throughout all history. God's used people just like you and just like me. So Joshua's leading the people, and there's more defeats than victories, and there's, there's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, over and over and over again. And then finally, it gets to the point, Joshua's older, and Joshua kind of pulls all the people together, and he's really become a father. See, that's what great leaders do. Great leaders really kind of become fathers to groups of people. So maybe for you, you didn't have a great father, but you've had some mentors, you've had some spiritual fathers that have made the difference in your life. And so Joshua really becomes kind of the spiritual father for the people of Israel. And so he gathers the people together and he's going, look, I've been leading you for 30 years. I've earned a right to speak this to you. And he gathers all the people together. But the first thing he does when he gathers all the people together is he reminds them of who they are and whose they are. And he does this by pointing to their shared father. So we're going to open up today by looking at Father Abraham. This is from Joshua chapter 20, 24, verses 1 through 3. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and it goes on to talk about all of his other descendants. And so here's kind of the gist of what Joshua is saying to the people is he's kind of reminding them who they are. He's reminding them their shared heritage. And so he says, hey guys, hey, all of Israel, all the tribes of Israel were gathered together. And you guys remember Father Abraham. 
he had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and, and guys, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. Spin around, sit down. He's going, everyone else in the region where we live, everyone else in the area of the world where we live worships other gods. But Abraham was called out. Abraham was called away. Abraham was called to separate himself from the tribe of his fathers so that through Abraham, God could create a brand new people. And so in Abraham, a brand new lineage begins. In Abraham, a brand new identity, a brand new family, a brand new tribe, actually 12 brand new tribes. And so Joshua starts all of this off by going, we have a father. We have a father. And our father trusted God when there was every reason not to. Because remember, when, when God calls Abraham out, Abraham's not young. Abraham's an older guy, and him and his wife, they've been married a long time with no kids. And God goes to Abraham, and he's like, hey, Let's separate you out from the rest of your family, from the Chaldeans. We're going to separate you out. You're going to become the father of many nations. You're going to become a brand new people group. And despite the fact that he was old and his wife was old and they have not had any kids, Abraham believed God. He had faith beyond what he could see in the present moment. Abraham had faith beyond what he could see in the present moment. And Abraham had faith beyond what made any sense to the world. Abraham trusted the word of God. And according to Genesis, it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed what God said. And so he leaves his people. And it's not like God immediately comes through with a promise. It's not like they cross the Euphrates River into a brand new land and God goes, hey, thanks for doing that. Here's your kid. It's years. It's years. Years of trusting God, years of trusting the process, years of walking forward and going, we're not where we want to be yet. We're not there yet, God, but we're going to keep trusting you. We're going to keep moving forward. And after years and years and years, God finally comes through with his promise. He says, look, you're going to have a son. And Abraham shares this with his wife. And she dies laughing. She's just cracking up. It's almost like she's doing that, that thing that a wife can do of going, I love you and I'm going to follow you. But this is kind of crazy, right? And so she's laughing. But sure enough, 
God comes through with his promise. And so they named their son Isaac. And the name Isaac in Hebrew literally means laughter. Abraham trusted the process. He trusted God. He had faith even when there were not immediate results in front of them. He had faith even when it made no sense to have faith. He had faith even when he could not see what was ahead of him. And so Joshua starts this whole gathering off by reminding them, we have a shared father and dad taught us to trust God even when there are not immediate results. Dad taught us to trust God even when we can't see the road in front of us. Dad taught us to trust God even when our wives were laughing. Dad taught us to trust God. So Joshua starts this whole gathering off by saying, we have a father and let's remember what dad taught us. And so Joshua goes on to describe the faithfulness of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joseph. And then he goes on to talk about how despite the faithfulness of God, despite how good God had been to them, despite the fact that God had held true to every promise he made to them, the people of Israel were beginning to turn their backs on God. The people of Israel were beginning to turn their backs on God, and they were beginning to chase after the gods of all the other people groups. And so Joshua, who has become a spiritual father, who has become a mentor, close to the end of his life, he draws a line in the sand. He recognizes that he only has so much political capital. He only has so much leadership capital. He only has so much capital in terms of what he can speak to the people and they will hear. His influence is somewhat limited. And so he goes, I will use every ounce of my influence to say this to the people of Israel. And fathers, there are some of you here today with adult children. There are some of you here today with adult grandchildren, and you know exactly what this is like. You know what it's like to, to see something. You know what it's like to watch something happen, and you are so burdened, and your heart is so broken, and so you recognize in the situation, you recognize I only have so much relational capital, I've only got so much leadership capital, there's only so much influence I have here, but I will use every ounce of the influence I have here to speak truth into this situation. And so Joshua draws a line in the sand, beginning in verse 11. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, 
Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's a father, a spiritual father to these people. He's got 30 years of leadership capital. He's got 30 years of relational influence, and he lays it all on the line. He's going, look, I'm drawing a line in the sand. you got to pick. you got to choose. Who's it going to be? Are you going to serve God, or are you going to serve these other foreign gods? Are you going to serve idols, or are you going to serve the only one who's ever been faithful to you? And here's what he does. He goes, look, you got to choose. you got to choose. But as for me, as for me, your spiritual father, your mentor, as for me, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And what Joshua is saying is he's laying it all on the line and he's laying all of his leadership, all of his influence, and he's going, look, if I have influence in your life, if I have earned a voice in your life, we're going to worship the Lord. Because when he says this here, he's not just saying me in my house. He's not saying literally just my house. He's not just going for me in my house. He's not just saying the people who live in his home. He's saying his family. He's saying the kind of periphery, all the people he has influence over. He's really making it about relationship. And he's going, look, if I have relationship with you, if I have influence with you, we're going to serve the Lord. Because you're not going to like being in relationship with me if you're not going where I'm going and if you're not following who I'm following. Joshua teaches us a profoundly important lesson, dads. He teaches us that faithful fathers set the direction and devotion of their family. Faithful fathers set the direction and the devotion of their families. Dad, you have more influence than you realize. You have more relational and leadership capital than you realize. Dad, you are going to set the direction and the devotion of your family. You're going to set the direction and the devotion of your family. Your household will go where you go, and your household will follow who you follow. And Joshua's going, look, if you're with me, we're following God. We're going to be obedient. We're going to trust the process. We're going to keep taking steps 
forward. We may not know where we're going. We may not be able to see the road in front of us. We may not be able to know what's going to happen next, but we're going to trust God and we're going to walk in obedience. So long as you're with me, that's where we're going. Because dads, you set the direction and the devotion of your families. And so dads, how do we do that? Dads, how do we set the direction and the devotion of our families? Because let's be honest, it is hard to trust the process every day when the results aren't there. It's hard to trust the process every day when it's not immediately getting better. It's hard to trust the process every day of raising children when there are days where you're like, I can't keep having this fight with you. Maybe that's just me and my kids. Maybe some of you have adult children. I can't keep having this fight with you. Dads, how do we trust the process? How do we stay faithful to God when it's not immediately visible? Dads, we have to have belief beyond what you can see. Dads, we have to have belief beyond what you can see. And if you're ever wondering what belief beyond what you can see looks like and what it looks like to leave a legacy of belief beyond what you can see, I encourage you to open up your Bibles sometime to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is regularly referred to as the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith, it's literally the writer of Hebrews is just listing as many people as they can from Scripture and just going down, hey, here's the list. Here's the list by faith, by faith, by faith. This person kept going. By faith, this person kept going. By faith, this person kept going. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. But they kept moving. There was forward progress. They trusted God even when it was hard. They trusted God even when there were not immediate results. And this is how Hebrews chapter 11 begins. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction. The conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Dads, there's got to be a conviction in you. There's got to be something in you that is moving you beyond what you can see in front of you. Fathers, I believe we need to be visionaries for our families. And the way that we do that is we have eyes to see beyond what's in front of us. We have eyes to see beyond what's in front of us. Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's why it's this beautiful, this beautiful picture. It's conviction, conviction beyond, conviction beyond what we see. Fathers who lead the way in courageous faith. Fathers who lead the way in courageous faith. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to have the conviction beyond what you can see. And here's why Hebrews 11 is so important. Because it's an entire chapter that's full of the faith of generations that have gone before. So I want you to think about this. The generations that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 are, are generations almost 2,000 years before the writing of the text. 1,400 years, 1,100 years, 800 years, 450 years. 
They start going down the list, and every person that gets mentioned is someone from centuries ago. And so I want you to understand what this does. When you set the example, when you set the direction and the devotion of your family, and then you walk forward in courageous faith, you inspire and encourage the people who come behind. Fathers who lead the way in courageous faith inspire children to trust God in the unseen. If you want to see your children do what you could not do, if you want to see your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, if you want to know that the generations that are going to come hundreds of years after your death, if they're going to walk forward in direction and devotion, then you set the example in courageous faith. You lead the way in courageous faith. You're the one who says, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what the consequences are going to be here, but I trust God, and so I will walk forward believing beyond what my eyes can see. I will have vision to trust in Jesus beyond my immediate circumstance. The influence of your life, the inspiration of your life, will be dozens of moments just like that. And in the moment, they may not seem like big, big things. In the moment, they may not seem like big, huge, inspirational decisions. But here's the truth. The moments of unique influence never announce themselves beforehand. The moments of unique influence never announce themselves beforehand. You walk forward in obedience, and one day you're going to find yourself in a circumstance or in a situation, and you trusting God in that moment beyond what you see is what is going to make the difference in your family. And it's what's going to inspire generations after your own. My full name is Robert Earl Stone. I'm technically Robert Earl Stone II. My father, despite being the youngest of the three boys in his family, gave birth, or he didn't give birth, my mom did. (laughs) Praise Jesus for that. My father named me as the first boy of my generation of the family after his father. I was born October 9th, 1980, and my grandfather, who I was named after, died April of 1981. I never got to know him. There are times with my grandmother when she was still alive where she would comment to me how much I was like him. There are times now as an adult where my mother and father will comment to me how much I was like him. There are times where looking at my son, we will talk about how much my son was like him. I never got to know my grandfather. But courageous faith leaves a legacy. 
Courageous faith inspires generations. And so I want to invite my dad up to stage. I want to invite my dad up here for a minute. I want you to give him a round of applause. This is Scott Stone. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Dad, I, I wanted to, to bring you up today because I didn't get a chance to meet your father. But I have been impacted. I've been influenced. My life has been touched by the legacy of courageous faith that he had, of believing beyond what he could see immediately in front of him. And I just wondered if you would, for me and for us, would you just share a story about your dad's courageous faith and the influence it had on you? Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Today was one of those special days for me where my entire immediate family was under the same roof, so that's a great day for me. Amen. So this marks my 36th year Father's Day without my dad. 23 years old, dad died. We had Rob. Megan wasn't thought of yet. <laughs> um, so we never celebrated a Father's Day together as, a da as dads. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't emotional until Rob started talking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, you say, hey, 36 years is a long time. But, you know, I can still remember his voice. I can still remember his laughter. I can still remember his touch. But most importantly, I can remember what he did. I call him the things that dad taught. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, we talked about courageous. We talked about strength of, of character. One thing that um, comes to mind. So in the early days of my childhood, my dad was a cement uh, truck driver, you know, for Mall Industries in South Florida. It's <laughs> the way I remember most of my childhood. Some point in, in in my childhood, my dad had the opportunity to become the business agent for for the union. So our 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 lives changed immediately. Dad had a company car. Dad no longer wore a, a shirt with with sleeves cut out and a funny welding hat and big heavy boots, and drove his old truck to work. I mean, he had a company car. He wore a sport coat, he wore Italian leather loafers, had lunch out every day. Things got better immediately. But at some point in that job, dad had, a, I, I call it a, a moral compass crisis, where dad said, and, and look, he never told me, I'm sure my mom knew, but, but dad never told us boys. But there was, a, there was either something that was going on that they asked him to do that he said no to, or if there was something in the organization that was going on that he came, came to light and he said, hey, I can't be a part of this. So he stepped down. So I'll never forget it. It was a, it was a midweek dinner. Dad came in and announced very loudly. So I'll digress a minute. Rob talked about how much he's like Dad. Dad, listen, I will tell you, Dad did not have an inside voice. You know, I will tell you, everything that dad did was loud and large. And I will tell you, that, that around that dinner table, dad told us, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be going back to, you know, driving a concrete mixer. 
you know, and I was young enough to, to know, well, that's odd, you know, midweek, he's going to change jobs. So I think it also speaks to his track record that he could leave one job and start another one the next day. But uh, never knew why. But I will tell you, later in my life, as I got in the workforce, and there were situations where there were value issues with me that I had to say no to. No, I can't do that. I may have to offer, offer my resignation for, and I, and I have. Uh, fortunately, they, they said, no, you don't have to do that. I, they acquiesced. But because Dad announced at that dinner table that, hey, I'm going to do something else. And so I grew up in the world before AC. That's BAC. And uh, Dad, I can remember that next day when Dad walked out the door, heard the door close, the awning windows were open. My brother Keith and I shared a room that uh, looked over the driveway and, uh, and the street. And, and I'll tell you, we, we both looked out that window and watched Dad with those big boots and that funny hat and those cut-off sleeves head into that work truck. And we were so proud that he would do the right thing and trust God with the rest. I will tell you, I, I have the opportunity to teach leadership often. One point that I always make, men, especially to new leaders, you're always on stage and people are watching. They're watching that your words and your actions align. Mm -hmm. They're looking for consistency in your leadership. Let me just talk to the dads and I talk to myself. The greatest stage that you'll ever have and your greatest leadership and opportunities being a dad. The greatest opportunity for influence, the greatest opportunity for impact is that of being a dad. And guess what? You're on stage. Mm -hmm. And precious people are watching. Impressionable people are watching. And I will tell you, we all have an opportunity to leave a legacy. We choose it daily by our actions. And I'm so thankful to my dad that he chose wisely. So that's my dad. So I, I clearly was well-fathered. So I never knew my grandfather. I never had the ability to know my namesake. But he had courageous leadership that influenced my father, that has influenced me, that I pray every day I will be able to influence Owen and Aubrey. Joshua 24 is a strange chapter. Joshua draws the line in the sand. Joshua uses all of his influence and he just puts it, puts it out there. I don't care what everyone else does. 
This is what my father said to me a lot when I was a teenager. I don't care what they do. I don't care what their parents let them do. They're not my kids. As for me and my house, we come to the end of the chapter after these things. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. After these things, after these things, after years of leadership, after years of influence, after years of, of impact, after years of influencing generations, he died. And here's the truth for all of us men, and I, I don't say this to close in a morbid place, but I want us to be completely aware of what's at stake. Fathers, dads, we will die one day. Or Jesus is coming back. But unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we will die one day. Which means that your window of influence is limited. Your window of influence is limited. But in that precious window that God has given you, fathers. You can have an impact that will long outlive you. You can have an impact for generations and generations to come because faith builds a legacy of courage. Faith builds a legacy of courage that will outlive you courage to inspire countless generations. Hebrews chapter 11. 2,000 generations ago. 1,400 generations ago. 400 generations ago. 800 generations ago. Courageous faith will inspire countless generations to courage. So dad, I know there are times when it seems like those four years of high school are eternity, or those three years of middle school are somehow even longer than an eternity, where just a day can feel like a century. But dad, don't miss the window because it will be here and gone like that. Don't miss the window. And when everyone is watching, lead the way with courageous faith. And you will inspire generations and you will have an influence that long outlives you you will leave a lasting legacy. 
even when you can't see the road in front of you, trust Jesus and trust the process of transformation because your children are watching.